Welcome to Mouse and Weens, everybody. I'm Mouse. I'm Weens. I'm Joelle. I'm Julianne. <laughs> Here we are. That's right. I'm the mom one. Yeah. I don't want to keep labeling myself. I'm just, I'm an esoteric creature. I can't be labeled. That's I'm, right. I'm wild. I zing a zang. That's her. I'm, a, I'm anything. I'm nothing. Ooh, deep. Shh. I like it. Deep on a Sunday. All right. Yay. I'm in LA at your awesome cottage. Enjoying yeah, you. your teal couch and your blue cool walls. She just painted her walls. Mom, she painted her walls. Does I painted that one accent wall that is the window wall and it's uh, got a lime green back tint. It's and then neat. I decided to There's texture. Paint. How'd you do it? I put the blue, the sky blue paint over the but bright it's lime. Like thick and dripping down. It's got lots I of painted lines. it. And with my hands, everything with my hands. Wow. I just pulled it all down with my hands, and I also put extra drips. Mm. Instead of trying to get rid of the drips, I accented the drips, and so it looks like candle dripping. Yeah, it's really cool. You, Thank you. You guys would all like it. We'll take, let's take a picture. Whoever has to paint it back, which I hope is oh. not me. <laughs> yeah, did, does your landlord know you did this? Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, okay. uh, no, yeah, he does. He all came, right. They all came in here. All right, good. All right. Well, here we go. That is where we are. We're sitting on this lovely couch. The 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 wind is blowing yeah. outside. It's it's not 180 degrees like it's been. We see the bamboo. You can't see anything. You're staring at a door. No, but I see a nice blowy tree. It's very nice. Yeah. But um. But we had a nice morning this morning. We walked. Everything's nice. Out nice, to nice, nice. The coffee shops, and you're gonna hear what we recorded while we were there because this is the Sunday morning coffee crew who I love. They're all the interesting, creative, cool people. Yeah, Weens has a little gang of friends. It was and really sweet. And one of them being our good pal, Tony Gleason, who is an artist, an illustrator, an author. Mm-hmm. He's been doing it for years as a successful human being in the world. And we really like him. He was very yeah, nice. he's one of my favorites. I love Tony. Yep. So let's get into it. We are going to meet Tony Gleason. Here we go. See you. We are here with our good friend, Tony Gleason. Tony Gleason, Mouse and Weens. Here's the mouse. Hello. I'm the ween on a sidewalk in Atwater Village. It's it's a beautiful morning and we're meeting friends and I'm so excited to hear your story, Tony. Oh, well, I hope you're not too excited. I don't know how excited this will be, but... Uh, he started off a poor white man. I did, and I'm still a poor white man. <laughs> I've come so far. <laughs> what would you like to know? Tell me, where would you like me to begin? Why, you, like, why are you interested in talking to me? Let's start with that. I think you're a beautiful storyteller. I've heard some of your story about doing illustration. You worked with Spike Lee, doing some of his Mo Better Blues posters. You're an illustrator. You're an author. You're an all-around fascinating guy. Wow. I've fooled you, too. Fantastic. <laughs> well, then I'm happy to tell you about that. And storyboard um, artist, which we're I always excited. storyboard artist. Yep, yep been a comic book artist I've been a you name it I've probably done it if it had anything graphic in it um, how'd you get started wow you know I I was one of those people who I, I used to draw all the time when I was a kid and I used to write stories and stuff 
And like most people, my parents would pat me on the head and my friends and my relatives would pat me on the head and say, well, that's very nice, but what are you going to do for a living that, that's practical? Uh, you know, and I would say, well, I want to be an artist. And they would say, well, you can't do that. And I'd say, well, what do you mean I can't do that? And they'd say, well, you can't make any money doing that. You know, ha, 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 why don't you just, why don't you find something better to do? So they encouraged me to, you know, become a scientist or a, I don't know, whatever, you know, world shaker, whatever. Uh, and uh, I went to college and I did a whole bunch of stuff, but I just never gave up wanting to be an artist. So I kept working at it and working at it. And uh, I went to a very good college for four years. And then... Which was what? Georgetown. And then at the end of four years, I wanted to be—I I still wanted to be an illustrator. What did you study? Uh, I studied fine arts. I started out as a math major, oh. and that, that didn't work, uh, so I became a fine arts major. And at the end of four years, uh, the, the head of my department said, uh, well, I'll send you to a couple people I know, and they'll let you know what you need to do if you really want to be an illustrator. And um, he sent me to the guy who was the head, um, the head creative director at National Geographic— Wow. In, in Washington, D.C. And this guy, I mean, I didn't realize at that time, I'm this punk kid, I'm like 20 years old, and I'm, I think, you know, I didn't realize this guy was really busy. And he took all this time with me. He was really generous. And he had me come in and he had me show him his work, my work. And uh, it was, it was, you know, it was student work. What's this guy's name? Let's give him a shout this out. His name was Joseph Tani. And he has unfortunately gone on to the great beyond. I mean, this was, this was 1971, you know. But uh, what a wonderful guy. He, he, he looked at my work and he very nicely said, you're not ready. And he says, I think you need to go back to school. So after four years of college and after getting a BA, uh, I, I came out here to LA and I went to Art Center College of Design. And uh, I studied illustration and advertising illustration and design there for a few years until I ran out of money. And then I went back to New York and I just, threw myself in and tried to find work and for years and years it was really hard but I just kept at it and kept at it and kept at it and little by little I started getting work and I ended up coming back out here and by now I I was married you know and my wife Annie wonderful lady she is just said okay I'll be a good sport about this I'll move out to California with you so I came out here and I opened my own studio and I started working and I had a number of years where every day I just got up and I drove around town and I showed my work to people and I took no's for an answer and I uh, just kept doing it. And little by little, I started getting work. So this and is how you do it. This is how you do it. You just show up. pound the pavement. Just yeah. go do it. Yeah. He's you like a vacuum salesman. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much the same thing. I, was, I might as well have been selling vacuums. Um, and somebody told me, if, if you see 100 people, you'll get one job. You'll get one assignment. And that's about the right Wow. That's about the right perspective. So he said to me, so you want 100 jobs, you go see 10,000 people. Wow. wow. So that's what I did. And little by little, I started getting work. I got some really wild work. Um, in the late 70s, early 80s, I, I did a lot of, um, I guess you'd call it softcore porn. You know, <laughs> men's, men's magazines. And uh, there was a ton of work that, in those days. Uh, I, I, I hooked up with this one publisher who did all kinds of amazing things. They, they published the Holloway House series of black exploitation books. And I did book covers for all these famous guys like Iceberg Slim and uh, Donald Goins and uh, Odie Hawkins, who I became great friends with. I saw you speak with Odie. Yeah, I am still friends with Odie. He is, uh, he's an amazing character. He is, 
He's written. He's an author. He's an author. He's written over thirty-seven books, uh, and I have done the book covers for numerous, um, numerous of his books. I used to illustrate his articles for uh, from a men's magazine called Players, which was a, a men's magazine for African American men. And for some reason, they hired me to do the illustrations in those days. I uh, just, I mean, I, whatever you could find to do, you know. And and I, I found myself working with these people who were all very creative and very productive. And they were doing the same thing I was. They were working for whoever would hire them. You know, so we just did all sorts of underbuilding. Who's the we? Like the authors? And you were illustrating? I was always. Um, I worked with a lot of other artists who went on to do a lot of other things. I worked with a lot of authors who went on to do a lot of very legitimate things. What's one of those? Um, one of the people I originally worked for was the, was the art director for the magazine. Uh, and his name was Paul Lynch, and he went on to become a pretty well-known uh, director, uh, TV and film director. And he was just working as an as an art director in those days. And he liked my work, so he started giving me work. And uh, he was, so when you're hired, you're doing book covers mainly. You're doing what kind of gigs? Okay, I did stuff for the. I did illustrations for the Los Angeles Times. I did illustrations for all kinds of magazines. I did illustrations for, I did book covers. I did a lot of science fiction book covers for Doubleday, for the, the Science Fiction Book Club, uh, for a lot of local uh, paperback companies. Over time, I found out, I got, I hooked up with a guy who did a lot of work for movies and TV, so I started doing a lot of concept art. I started doing a lot of storyboarding in the 80s. Um, what was your favorite gig of storyboarding? And what does that mean for people who don't know what storyboarding is? Do you know? Okay. Storyboarding is, is an interesting field because when, when you make a movie, a TV show, a commercial, anything that involves uh, film you, or video or, you know, things that move, you have to lay it out first of how it's going to look. A storyboard is basically, it almost looks like a comic book. And what it is, is it's, it's, it's your entire blueprint for how your continuity is going to work in your film. Uh, the director uses it, the cinematographer uses it, uh, the director of photography uses it, Every, everybody uses it. And, and what you do is you sit down and you plot out the, the way, the motion of how the film is going to go. Well, I had this friend I was doing a lot of work for, and one day he called me up and he says, look, I can't take this job, I, you need to go over and you need to uh, uh, storyboard this commercial with this guy. And I'd never done anything like this in my life. I was like, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. He says, he says they don't know you don't know how to do that. He says, just, just go. They, I'm sending you there. They believe you know your stuff. So just go in and act like you know what you're doing, and you'll, you'll really enjoy it. So I went over to this soundstage on Highland Avenue in the, in the middle of Hollywood, and I was working for this big shot uh, film and commercial director. Uh, and... I walk in and I'm getting paid this enormous amount of money. To me, it seemed at the time an enormous amount of money, an hour to work there. And he had me sit on the floor of the soundstage next to him with a pad and just start knocking out how the commercial was going to go. And I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just drawing, you know. Yeah. And, and he's this British guy and he's this really high-powered kind of guy, you know. And he keeps going, let me see what you got. Let me see what you got. He reaches down and he picks up my pad and he goes... This is freaking brilliant. <laughs> this is absolutely freaking brilliant. He says, this is, this breaks every known rule of cinematography. You're just, you're a fucking genius. And I go, well, I'm breaking the rules because I don't know the rules. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm going, okay, okay. You know, I'll just keep doing what you're doing. This is working, you know. And this was back when people spent a whole lot of money to make these commercials. I mean, they just had unlimited yeah. budgets. So he had like, he had these 
beautiful young women walking around were bringing just trays of food to people while we were working. You know, that was their job, was to come around and see if we needed anything. And I'm sitting there on the floor, and they come over, and they sit down next to me, and they drape themselves over me, and they go, oh, you're so talented. Look at those drawings. I can't believe it. How do you do things like that? I wish I could draw like that. Here, would you like some more shrimp? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting here going, wow, this I've is... I've arrived. This is, what, what, <laughs> this is great heaven. Great job. You know? I mean, how much better can this get? You're, they're paying me umpty ump dollars an hour to sit here and be told how great I am. And whatever I do, they go, yeah, yeah, that's great. You know, and every now and then I would talk with somebody else who was working on this commercial and, you know, there'd be these big ass producers or whatever coming in. You don't mind if I say a few, you know, <laughs> you, know you know, and uh, <laughs> these, these big high powered producers would come by and they're just talking to me like I'm one of the guys, you know. And I would make some stupid comment that I thought was stupid, and they go, "Yeah, yeah, I think you're right about that." Yeah. <laughs> and I was realizing this is all—it's all about smoke confidence. And it's all about yeah. confidence. It's smoke and mirrors. Yeah, you know, it's like William Goldman says: nobody knows anything. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I started, even Stanley Kubrick said that after directing, he goes, "I'm waiting for someone to come up and say I'm a fraud," yeah. even though he's, you know, already directed his first picture. Sure, sure, exactly, and that's everybody's doing that. We're all doing that, you know, and the people who can put up the best fronts are the ones who become successful that to me i realize what the trick is is you show up and you act like you know what you're doing and you learn you learn while everybody thinks you know what you're doing until you actually do know so this this colleague of mine who had all these great jobs he would call me up about all these crazy things and i'd say i don't know i've never done that and again he'd say they don't know that you know i'm i'm sending you over for this job just do it and I would go in and yeah, a pencil lid. Yep, I have one of those from Eddie Claro. <laughs> Back in here, wait. Oh my God, it's for, disappeared. For those who are wondering, we're talking about ink tattoos, yeah. inadvertent ink tattoos that occur on the fingers of creative people. Oh yes. <laughs> and I, I remember when this happened. This happened in the '90s. I actually jabbed the pen into my finger, and I, it was sort of a do-it-yourself mini tattoo. Oh. <laughs> uh, and it's never gone away, and as tattoos don't. There you go. And uh, it's just sort of a, it, it, this is like a, a mark, a distinguishing mark. If I ever commit a felony, somebody Ooh. can say, look for this guy. He's got a dot on his, his, right. his right index finger. Yeah, or whatever. Wow. it's his inner right middle finger. You got inner that? Inner right middle finger. <laughs> right. Mine is on my hand from Eddie Claro jabbing a pencil into my hand. Eddie Claro, third grade, Bert Felton. Do you remember that? <laughs> you little jerk. I don't remember a bit of that. <laughs> Tony doesn't remember. We've derailed your talk. Sorry. So, yes. Yeah, I love being derailed. This is great. Yeah. You know, oh if God. I had to be derailed by anybody, I want to be derailed by you guys. Oh, Tony's a super fan of Mouse and Weens, aren't you? I am. I have a super fan. I, you you get the most interesting people, and then you get me too. But yeah. you you just dig up people that I you you've interviewed a couple people I know. Yeah. And I had no idea. Wow. I mean oh. you pulled stuff out of them that I had no idea they did, you know. Cool. Everybody's everybody's got a story, right? Yeah. Totally. You know, and the guy walking down the street that you think is just uh, you know, you might be the most fascinating person on the face of the earth. You never yeah. know. Yeah. You never yeah. know. Right, yeah, absolutely. No, all the all the friends I just met were sitting here at a coffee shop with all these umbrellas and chairs and tables and uh yeah, one guy just did a film, another guy's an actor, like no big deal. Everyone's just sitting around yeah. having coffee and I love it. Musicians. Kennedy's got, he's got a big following. Like, he's kind of a big chick guy. Kennedy is his music video karate. He was just in Iraq, he was talking about, being in Mosul. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. wow. Producing an album in Kurdistan. 
But the bottom line is, everybody, we're all just people doing our job. Yeah. And, and it is the smoke and mirrors thing. To get back to what you were talking about, I love that. What a great piece of advice for anybody trying to do anything creative. You know, even us starting this podcast, we just did it for us for fun. Well, and let... Uh, yeah, but the whole world of podcasting is, you know, how do you make money at it? And it's the people who go out there and push, 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 and then... You know, yeah. act like we were at a party last night. Yeah, a lot of producers and directors, and the guy who wrote Ooh. Heather's and Batman 2, Dan Waters, was there, and the guy who's working on Unicorn, the new show coming out. But everybody, we're just talking about dogs and kids, and yeah. although it's hard to also jam in your pitch in the middle of casual conversation, I'm not good at that. Like, wow, I also have this screenplay I'm working on when people are just there to have normal conversation it's i don't have that skill i've known people who were pretty famous you know in the industry and i met them through i didn't meet them through business i met them through social things like our kids knew each other stuff like that and i always realized that there's a line you don't cross there there's times you talk business with people and you pitch your projects and you talk to them and there's other times they don't want to hear that because that's what they hear all day they want to be normal people they want to talk about their kids they want to talk about whatever you know talk about food you know, whatever. Anything and, but the job. Right. And I, I had friends who would come up to me and go, oh, you know, so-and-so, could you, like, put in a good word for me? I, You know, I'm doing this. And I'm like, no. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's not that's not what our relationship is about. Our relationship is about we're friends. Right. And that's, it, I got so much more out of getting to know people. And, and when they realized you weren't out to get anything from them, right. they become different people. Right. You know, they know they can relax and they can be themselves. And as a result, I feel like I really got to know a few people that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten to know. And again, it comes back to the fact they're just people like you and me. But then you have to get work at some point, too. So you you just are pounding the pavement on your own, on your own time, getting your own gigs that way. And then you have then you don't have to ask these people for anything. Well, then they appreciate the fact you come to them with a body of work. I love that expression because Mm -hmm. none of us know we have a body of work. You know, one day we turn around and we've just done all the stuff right you know uh and if you go to somebody and you've shown them what you've done they respect that mm-hmm. because that speaks for itself now did any of these friendships with these mucky mucks lead to eventual work on occasion on occasion, on occasion yeah very tangentially it's like somebody they would go they, this is my friend so-and-so and he's looking for somebody to do such and such yeah you know, and then something would come out of that. Word so, of mouth. Word of mouth. Again, yeah. I mean, it, it, again, it comes back to showing up. Right. One of the things you do, you meet people, you talk to people, you put your work out there, you make sure people know what you are doing. For example, right now I will point out that one of the things I am doing is I've been writing books. I've been writing uh, murder mysteries for the past few years. Wow. Uh, doing well with it, too. They're on Amazon. Name a couple of them so we can see. Tony Gleason is the author. Uh, Tony Gleason, two E's, G-L-E-E-S-O-N. And at this point, probably the best ones to get have been published in this country by Wildside Press. Wonderful, wonderful publisher of mysteries and science fiction. Uh, and the most recent one that was published this year is called It's Her Fault and The Other Frank. It's, a, it's two books combined in a uh, what they call an omnibus. I love that. Uh, my, my books have all originally been published in Great Britain. I've had seven of them published. Two more will be published in, up in the next year to come. Uh, they're a little harder to find, and I'm delighted that Wildside picks them up and publishes them here. That's awesome. What is It's Her Fault about? I like the title. Not really, but... 
Why is it her fault? No, I'm just kidding. I, I love that people people without knowing anything about it go, why the hell is it her fault? Why isn't it his fault? It's a women's lib. But the the funny thing is, this is this is a series of of, of books that that all have the same basic characters. They're 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 a group of detectives in a West Coast city, which goes unnamed. Uh, and this particular book, Elsa Brownie. No, <laughs> Berkeley. Uh, but, but this particular book is about a detective named Frank Vandegraaff, who I like because he's a very stoic guy. He's kind of just seen it all and he's sick of it all and just has a very good sense of humor. And um, he's, he's approached by a, uh, uh, a very pedantic uh, professor at the local university who is kind of based on people I know. And uh, the guy claims his wife is trying to kill him. And he doesn't believe it. And now one day they find him, he's dead, and he's got a note on his chest that says it's her fault. Wow. So he's going to try to find the guy's wife to find out what happened, and the wife turns up dead with a note on her chest that says it's his fault. And then it goes from there. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, so this and, is an unraveling. Da, 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 da. And I had a lot of fun working this one out. We were we were driving up to El Sobrante, as a matter of fact, one day to visit our, our daughter. El Sob, number one. And my, uh, my wife and I, uh, my wife Annie and I worked out the plot to this on the way driving up to five. We had a lot of fun going over the grapevine talking about how this how this book would work out and everything. And then when I got home, I started writing it. Nice. That so. is so cool. How do you do mysteries? Do you work from... Do you discover as you go or do you work from the end point and backwards? Uh, kind of both. Um, I kind of have an idea of where it's going to go, but it's funny when you start writing... First of all, your characters, if you've, if you've established them well enough, they take on a life of their own and they go where they want to go, you know? So I, I, I first I originally invented this cast of characters because the very first book I wrote was called Night, Night Music. And it's, I figured, what would happen if, if eight people died in one night? You know, how would people deal with that? So I drew out a little, a little map of this city and I said, okay, they, he, he dies here, or she dies there, or blah, blah, blah. How do I connect them? What's going on? What do they have? What, what's the connection? How are we going to tie these all together? And then I thought, okay, how many characters am I going to need to deal with this? So I came up with three detectives, who, because one isn't going to be able to cover eight in one night. Uh, and so, so was born my detectives, and so was born my city, and so was born all of these, uh, you know. So with this particular book, I kind of had to work backwards, but at the same time, I was working forwards because I go, okay, what would these detectives do next? They find out this point, now what would that lead them to? So in a sense, I'm working it out as I'm going along, but I know where I'm going to end up, you know? Uh, and and the, the books that followed, uh, some of it was I came up with a concept, okay, such and such happens. And then I, I thought, okay, well, how are we going to come upon this? How are we going to stumble upon this? And in the process of writing, things change. You know, as you're writing something, you go, no, actually, that wouldn't work as well as I thought it was going to work originally. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted it to go here, but that's not going to work. So instead, it's got to go here. And, and in the process, the whole thing works itself out. And you, it, it's like painting a picture in that you're writing, you're writing, you're writing, and all of a sudden, it's finished. You know, you paint a picture, and at some point, it tells you it's done. You know. Wow. How did you get it published? What were the steps to shop it around after you wrote it or... Okay, good one. Uh, again, footwork. Um, I, I had written these some years before, and I sent them to people and sent them to people and sent them to people. And you get a lot of rejection slips. You know, in any Is that by query letter, just random publishers you respect and like, or is it through connection? or Both. Both. I, I would send things cold to people. Um, I would ask people to refer me to somebody. Uh, what happened was I... I 
connected with somebody who was a publisher. She was she no longer an active publisher, but but she had been a publisher for many years, and we got to be good friends. And she suggested I try uh, sending my work to this guy in the UK. Turns out he was very interested. He was very receptive to the first book I sent him. He liked it a lot. It got published, and he said, "What else you got?" So I started writing more of them, and he is he is. Well, by the time we were finished, he bought nine books from me. And then, uh, once they were published in the UK, and they were a little hard to get there, uh, my, my original friend came back to me and said, well, now I would suggest you talk to Wildside Press, because they might be very interested in reprinting these, because I had all the rights. The, the way this worked out was this UK publisher bought one-time rights to use the books there, and then I had all the... I, it was really good, really good setup because I still had all the rights to do whatever else I wanted with them. They so had that, that territory, that region, and then you were right, elsewhere. Right. Okay. It was a particular kind of book. They did a lot of like, you know, large print publishing, things like that. So they had a, they were a niche publisher. So it was a small publisher, but it was it was a foot in the door. Now I've got these things. So now I came back to Wildside, and I and they were interested, and they uh, they they contracted to publish six of the original books and they published them in three they, so far they've published four of them in two omnibus editions two and two and I have a contract hopefully next year they'll publish the, the third set of two wow. right, and then then we'll go from there we'll see what else we can get good but, for you oh, how does God. Amazon do you like working with them um, I don't directly work with Amazon they Amazon works with the publisher that's nice yeah it's kind of a nice thing if you're if you're if you're a self-publisher and I know an awful lot of writers who do self-publish then you have to do all that footwork and you have to do all the arrangements with Amazon but instead what I do is I you know I work directly with the publisher and they do all those other ancillary things so far what I'm hearing is you are a person that is a go-getter you believe in just waking up and doing it can i tell you also i'm going to tell you what you told me this morning you said i listened to your podcast i just love that you guys are doing something you're doing it and you're active and you said i really respect people who are out there being active with their work there's and no it, other way to do this you know there's no secrets nobody's found a genie with a magic lamp I mean, maybe maybe if you were born to some multimillionaire in the in the film business, you've, you know, you, you'll get an in. But 99% of us are not going to do that. 99% of us, especially today, where we live in a digital world where there aren't people who are coming in at a higher level than other people. We're all coming in at the same level. And the consumer, who is basically what we're all trying to reach, is hearing everybody at once. So there's no tricks to this. All you do is you just keep going out there and going out there and somebody hears you here and somebody hears you there. Somebody picks up your book there. Somebody sees your film there. Somebody sees your, your artwork here. And little by little, I mean, that's the only way I see this working is that you gradually, you gradually accumulate followers. You know, and there's no... There's no secret formula. It's, it's about you get up and you do it and you, and you don't have any great expectations. You know, if you come home at the end of the day and nothing's happened, then okay, you just get up and do it again the next day. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's all any of us can do. Right. You know. Right. What was your quote? It was success is luck. I think no luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Yeah, I like that. And the the now discredited um, Woody, Woody Allen says eighty five percent or whatever of success is showing up. 
Well, no, he perhaps showed up in some of the wrong places. At he the showed up uh, with the yeah. <laughs> but but you know the rule the rule applies. I like yeah, you know, and I love the fact you guys are doing this. It know. was it was a very naive start. We just jumped in one day, honestly, zero preparation, and figured out how to stick it out there on the internet. This podcast, yeah, and yeah. it was only after the fact, a few more episodes in, that I started researching it and seeing what other podcasters were doing, and then kind of went, "Oh shit, we were supposed to do this first, and then we we're supposed to do this, and we don't have this equipment, and oh no." But we but we had it rolling at that point, so yeah. you start to have incentive to <laughs> figure it out. And our first episodes are pretty embarrassing, and some of our audio is schlocky still. But you know what? We're getting it out there, and such know. as right now on an iPhone. <laughs> Whoopsie! There was just a big motorcycle that parked right next to us. I mean, what were we supposed to do? <laughs> but we're here. But you know what? I mean, think about some of the schlock movies that got made in the '60s that are now in the Museum of Modern Art. All of Roger Corman's, or yeah, I think about uh, yeah, Night of the Living Dead. You right. know, uh, Plan Nine from Outer Space. Right. Now people think of these as classics. You know, we're, what the, about, we're the B movie of podcasts. What about the, you know fanzines? You know, people have put out zines for what for decades. And there are actually people who are now collecting those mimeographed zines, yeah. you know, and they, 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 they're they classics. In the They're going to love this when we're dead. Yeah, and, and, and well, hopefully before we die. I hope we get a year or two to enjoy our, uh, our, Great our, success. our spot in the sun. But but the fact of the matter is, you know, production production values don't always uh, translate to, to, to good quality. There's a lot of really high-end high movies that are, you know... They're just more of the same, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of high-end music that's just more of the same. Yeah. And some of the really good stuff that's being done, it's being done by indies, you know? It's by people with handheld cameras or with handheld microphones or, you know? And You know what I love about Tony, too? Look how passionate he is. You've been in this world a long time, the world of art, the world of craziness. Hello! And, uh, and you're still excited and passionate, and you know more than most people who are young about... I mean, you are tapped into currently what's going on in music and art, right. and, and right. you're really, yeah, you're passionate about all this. Well, and the thing I love is you, you specifically. I, I've only made, I've only made, had the pleasure of meeting meeting Ms. Mouse for the first time, <laughs> but I am, I am well familiar with Ms. Weens. And the, the thing I love about you is that you are, uh, I like to call you an old soul in a young body because you're, you're aware. And you're open to things that happened years ago that some people of a newer generation, maybe they think the world began, you know, when, when they became aware. 2005, yeah. Yeah, whatever, and, which is a shame. I mean, I did that. I did that with my own generation as well. And I love the fact that um, maybe I would like to think I'm a young soul in an old body. And so we have a I think you are. an old body and an old soul in a young body. We meet somewhere in the middle. And you meet somewhere in the middle, and it, you know, all the cool stuff happens because we can share things, you know, yeah. and we can both learn from each other. And I think, I think that's what keeps me going is just the day, the day I can't learn is the, the day that there's no purpose to, to being here anymore. Right. That's, yeah. I, I love that. That's wonderful. It's, it's true. Just enjoying life, having the gusto, and, and finding new relationships. You know what I think is the most important thing in the world? Diana. The most important thing in the world. What? Whoa. Please tell me. All right, everyone listening. Ready? 
dinosaurs. Tell us your obsession about dinosaurs. <laughs> Look at his, his shirt. Has what is that? Distance Raptor. We have to take a picture. Well, we'll take a picture. Okay, after, we'll take a picture. Yeah, yeah, that would be good to take a picture after. <laughs> my, but my daughters love to send me what they call nerdy shirts. I, I've got all these great nerd shirts. You know, they're. I love it. But you, I have seen so many dinosaur illustrations, and what is it that you love so much about them? I don't know, but what <laughs> what, what you're talking about is, I, I carry around a sketchbook with me, uh, which I have termed the Sunday morning sketchbook, although I draw on it on other days besides Sunday. Uh, uh, and what happened was I was kind of in an artistic doldrum a few years ago, and I found out that if I just carried around a really cheap-ass notebook with me with lines on it, and use the cheapest pen I could find. I, it, it wasn't a scary thing, you know. A, no a, a blank, a, no pressure. A blank piece of paper is one of the scariest things in the world. You know, this nice, clean, pristine thing. I had an art teacher once told me, "Step on it. Step on a clean sheet of paper, because yeah. then it won't be it won't so be as as intimidating." Blank page for writers, also. Yeah. And don't use expensive tools because you go, I, 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 I can't mess this up. So I, would, I just started drawing, and I found, like, it really helped. Like, I would just, like, let my wrist go. I wouldn't even let my brain go. I'd let my wrist go. And it, it did these amazing, profound things. I Suddenly, my drawing ability got better. Hmm. You know, when I, when, I start, when I sat down to really do, like, really serious drawings, my hand was just free to go. I didn't get scared. So I've carried around these sketchbooks for, I don't know, three, four years. I'm on the 11th one now. And what I do is I... I scan the pictures which are of varying quality some I think are dynamite some I think are well maybe not so good but what I do is I, I, I put them on social media I, I, I put them on my Facebook page and I've done that for a few years now and uh, I've actually gotten a little kind of a fandom from this the uh, the Sunday morning sketchbook you know and anybody who's interested they're they're public anybody who's interested can look me up on Facebook and they can they don't have to friend me Tony Gleason Right. E E S O N. We'll, we'll link up. We'll link up all your stuff too to cool. this our cool. show notes. So cool. check. And I also have a public page called Tony Gleason Illustrator, which is uh, just artwork and uh, and and stuff about my books. And uh, we went to your showing in Pasadena, where you I were showing your. What would you describe it as? Are you talking about the? Um, I went to many things of yours. Yes, too. You have. <laughs> uh, you're, you've been a marvelous supporter of me. You, you did the Halloween, so you had Frankenstein. Okay. I, was, I was involved in a wonderful art mashup last year. It was the anniversary of the publishing of Frankenstein and Little Women, and there was this wonderful woman, this really, really imaginative creative woman who curated the show and got a bunch of us artists to get together and we did mashups of Frankenstein and Little Women you know and you can just imagine some of the crazy ass shit you could do with this super cool uh, I, I did a drawing of uh, Joe March the, the little girl reading the first edition of Frankenstein with the Frankenstein's monster looking over her shoulder and I posed I posed myself as the as the Frankenstein monster and I had my granddaughter pose as Joe March, and I made her into like a you know Victorian outfit and all that and everything. And we had a great time with it. We did a whole photo shoot, and uh, it was just we all had a great time putting this thing together. And, and it, you know. yeah, it was awesome. Oh, Creative. Mom different. came to that too. Oh, nice. We'll do a little mom shout out and Piconi. All right, now, is there anything that you want to... What do you want to do, Mouse? I want to hear if you have any fun celebrity stories. I'm always, like, I go to the basic, I love the celebrity stories. Any good? You know, one that comes to mind, and and this isn't really all that great a story, but I said we knew people because we had kids in common. Well, uh, for a while, we were good friends with... 
who are like wonderful, wonderful people. And they had kids who were in preschool with our kids. And they're just the most generous, wonderful people imaginable. And they would have birthday parties and things for all the kids that were in the, in the, in the, you know, in the, in the preschool and everything. And one of the things we did, we had, we went to a birthday party. I think it was for one of our kids um, at the Glendale Center Theater. And they would have these specials where you would have a, a kids theater in the round, and they would do some kids play, and then they would call kids down to, for their birthday. So, actually came with her daughter to this, and it was very instructive to me because I couldn't believe how many people wouldn't leave her alone. I mean, I I really got an insight into. There's, there's really downside to being a famous person. I, I couldn't believe how rude people were. You know, people would just come up to her and shove a, an autograph book in her face and go, I want a picture with you. And I mean, come on, you know, this is, she's just sitting here trying to enjoy this, this with the rest of us. And I began to realize, you know, there are people that don't draw the line. You know, and remember I said earlier, these were people who were friends of mine and I drew a line and we, I, that was where we stayed. Was, was in this life as, you know, co-parent, as parents who could share experiences as kids or whatever. Um, and I was just like, there's so many people, they don't, they can't, they have no limits. Right. I, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that happens here. You would think everybody kind of understands everyone's in the business and kind of leave each other alone. But maybe it would happen in another city. If, if were to visit another city, people would... Well, I think this is a big reason why people who are famous tend to, you know, we think of them as being cloistered because they kind of want to hang out in their neighborhood or whatever. But I realized, no, that's that's kind of a self-preservation thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I see it all the time. As much as I'm in the film world and TV world, they'll still be the celebrity person who's in the room on the film set. And you can work with these people every day, but there's a different shift or if you get too close if you're sitting next to them at the sandwich stand you start going so tell me about you know and just like energy yeah Yeah. interesting how the idolization has has happened and And i i feel kind of funny now i realize i'm sorry i mentioned them by name but um it was this was many years ago our kids are all grown and um on occasion we have contact with one another and we're very cordial but we're not you know we don't really see each other anymore. And it's, it's kind of something I remember and I treasure was that I got to know these people as, as people and as friends. Um, I, if you live in L.A., it's kind of funny. You know, I, I mean, I was, I was sitting on the beach at Malibu one day and somebody walked by who was very famous and we just stopped and talked. You know, he's just a guy who lived there. And that's all we did. We just talked about guy stuff you know and then he walked on and that was it who was it you don't want to say huh at this point i feel i feel kind of guilty sean penn to begin with and uh uh but no but you're mentioning them in a good light so oh, you're yeah. saying a really nice thing about and just commenting on celebrity culture it is it's nuts right right and i but i i do feel kind of when i think about it i do feel kind of self-conscious about that because in a sense i'm kind of doing what i just accuse other people of doing you know <laughs> um but but i have if, I mean, you live in L.A., you know, you walk into a supermarket and there's somebody pushing a cart that, oh, this is somebody from a television show, you know. And in some, you know, I, my daughter, when she was younger, worked in a yogurt place in Silver Lake. And there were people who would walk in who were very famous, you know, just they wanted to buy a thing of yogurt. They didn't want to be hounded. They didn't want to be hounded. Right. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a tough thing because some of these people can deal with it on a, you know, I'm just another person high. And some of them, 
it's very easy to think of them as being standoffish or being being uppity, but they're not. They're, I mean, I, I see what they had to deal with, you know. And this is this is just this is this is the only way you can deal with it is by is by putting up what somebody might think is a wall or something, because they just. They don't know. I mean, there's some yeah. crazy people out there. You don't know what somebody's going to do anymore. And it's gotten crazier and crazier and crazier. Yeah, and these people, they don't owe anybody anything. I mean, they're allowed to live their lives the way they want to. So to feel like, you know, attacked when they go to the grocery store and then, you know, maybe guilty. I know they just interviewed Taylor Swift because she's coming up on turning 30. And when she was young and first starting, she would put her whole life out there for everybody. And then she realized people would just consume her and want more and more and more and then kind of take her down. And now at 30, she's finally putting up walls and realizing, I don't owe anybody anything. I I need to isolate myself a little bit and have my own life. And, you know, it's got to be an interesting kind of coming of age for celebrities as they move up the ladder and yeah so the the downside of that is that they can't be normal people because except for other people who work with them in their industry nobody treats them like normal people so you said this last night we're around all these mucky muck people yeah that's such a whatever term but that was what you said that's great it was just what did you say last night because you haven't hung out with maybe these people as much what did you say i don't remember you said it's so weird that these people are just normal people like that was the writer of batman and it was uh it was just a normal guy we talked about right yeah it's just like any other person you meet and obviously i mean stars they're just like us you know but why did you say that like what was the epiphany there because you really were kind of like blown away you were also drinking a lot so maybe that (laughs) (laughs) that could have been it no i don't know i mean i didn't know what to expect going here i just kind of went in with a naive again not knowing the business or anything and i'm just your buddy at a party and so I don't know, just talking about soccer and kids and, you know, do you play 9 versus 9 or 11 versus 11? And, oh, I had to be a team manager, too. What, now, how do you do that? Oh, here's how. So I'm, you know, giving advice to someone and then hear later that he worked on this movie and that movie. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. I don't it, Whatever my epiphany was, it was just that. Just, yeah. you know. It was interesting, yeah. She was people just, are people. As people are people, so... I had a, another funny story. I was at a party once, and I they had a, um, a Ben & Jerry's. You know, what are you like a cart uh-huh. you know and there were some famous people at this party and I was standing in line with Cher and we talked about ice cream nice <laughs> you know so I went into work the next day and I said hey you know what I was at this party last night and I was I met Cher and they went wow what did you talk about and I said ice cream <laughs> and they were like what's wrong with you lame old what 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 is the matter with you you talked about ice cream i said well what else was i supposed to talk to her about we're standing in line waiting to get ice cream and that's what she wanted to talk about i mean what what else am i going to talk to her about you know it's cool that we don't care about celebrity and everything what kind of ice cream did she like uh yeah yeah i don't even remember i just i just remembered she was i I was surprised that she was shorter than i had than i would have thought she would have been yeah she seems taller but maybe they always she seems like such a powerful big bigger than life but you know but you know i mean and i'm I'm no different from anybody else i was you know i struck for a moment oh boy this is this famous person and i was like oh we just had to talk you know it was cool and she was very sweet she was very nice you know I have just kind of incidentally met people like that who are well-known, and they some of them can be just really, really nice, very polite, you know, very uh, very gentlemanly or ladylike. 
to use old-fashioned terms. And um, it's just, you know, it's... Okay. I met the Dalai Lama. We talked about mozzarella and tomatoes. Wow. <laughs> did you really meet the Dalai Lama? I did. Where? <laughs> See, now this is the celebrity. Where? In Where? New York, I worked as a cater waiter, and I think I was working for Harry Cipriani, the guy who had the restaurant Rainbows of the World yeah, yeah, up in yeah, the yeah. Twin Towers. and. Yeah. And so it was his catering company. So we'd always end up downtown at the Wall Street, the old stock exchange building in Wall Street. And that was where a lot of these huge parties, you know, you would rent that space. And it was Richard Gere, the Dalai Lama had just flown in. It was all a benefit to raise money for something that was important, which I can't remember. It was in 2099. Global warming or something, right? Yeah. And Richard Gere spoke. He was buddies. Remember when there was a lot of photos? And he had just flown in and I wasn't, I'm doing, I'm a professional sneak. You might not have known this, but we weren't allowed to go. We had to all do our, you know, ID, thumbprints. It was a big, I've done this for Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton. They have bomb dogs that come in. So they did the same thing. And all the people who were the cater waiters had to show ID, do the thumbprints. So we did all that. Sniffed by the dogs. Yeah, that yeah, that was the. That was interesting. It's a lot of strange sniffings. A Clinton sniffer. (laughs) (laughs) They sniffed your Clint. Anyway, so. (laughs) No. Worried about saying ass. Oh my god. There is an N in there. (laughs) So I just turned red. I don't know what I was saying. No, we could cut this part out. But. Anyway, yeah, so you weren't supposed to. So we were all the cater waiters. There were like a couple of the higher ups, you know, the people who had been there 10 years that were allowed to do the VIP catering. But I did a little sneaky sneak when I saw that nobody else was doing that. I'm like, I got to meet the Dalai Lama. This is the. And I was all into meditation back then and all that. So I snuck and I just brought in the tray. I was like, hi, how are you? And he was sitting with his arms behind his head, just just gotten in from, I guess he was in exile. Did, did he at say, the I just flew in, boy, are my arms tired? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, Go ahead. This is good. Yes. <laughs> just flew in from Chicago. Oh. <laughs> Benny Goodman. What is this? Benny Hill? Yeah. <laughs> Who's the one-liner guy? Yeah, Benny, Benny Youngman. Benny Youngman. Oh, Thank oh, you. Oh, yeah. Nice. Anyway, yeah. So I just served my tomato and mozzarella balls and my little sticks. And then uh, I said, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm very tired. Very tired. Oh, you're doing a lot of traveling? Yes. And then... That was pretty much it. I go, well, why don't you take a nap? Oh, thank you so much. I will. Just sweet. Whatever. That was it. Thank you. I like that. By, by strange coincidence, I made a dynamite thing with tomatoes and mozzarella last night. Nice. It was fantastic. You were almost like the Dalai Lama. Uh, I, I could only aspire to be. <laughs> I wouldn't know where to begin. Uh, but no, no. I like I to cook. So I, I made this, uh, this vegetable thing last night with um, zucchini and onions and garlic and then you mix it up with a lot of tomato paste, and then you put mozzarella on top of it, and you just cook it right there in the pan. Mm. Oh, it was great! It was it was it was to die for. It was wonderful. Is it a sounds great? No, this was a, this was an entree. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, there was chicken in it too. I should mention that. Okay. Yeah. Wow! I, I left out the important part. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So if you buy one of Tony's books, maybe a painting, you also might get a little zucchini tomato based. Or well, d'oeuvre on the side. You know, I, you never know. You right. never know. Hand, handwritten and signed recipe card, perhaps, could be the bonus. All right, guys, we're closing it out. <laughs> Here we go. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for talking to us. And for sitting out at this lovely sidewalk and enjoying I, a Sunday. I, I, 
you know, what could possibly, what could be better than sitting with the two of you in this beautiful day in Atwater Village? We Agreed. feel the same way. Agree. Agreed. We love you, Tony Gleason. Oh, Tony yeah. Gleason, folks. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Don, isn't he great? He's so nice. Really liked him. I, I learned a lot. I thought that was really cool. For anyone out there wanting to write something, publish something, uh, illustrate take your art to the next level yeah he was a great resource and please check out all of his website stuff and facebook we'll link everything in our show notes like i said and um yeah wow i hope to see him again and meet more of your friends on that level we can do little interviews with all of them uh we'll post some pictures too on our on our social media you can see tony's uh the nerdy shirt he was talking about that his kids get him yeah it's cute it has something to do with dinosaurs dinosaurs recurring theme yep okay tony thanks for being with us and please uh you know check him out get to know more about this lovely human being yep support a good guy Okay. We, we approve. And us. And we love you. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Thank guys. you for always writing in and being our pals. And we want to be your friends in your ears. Won't you be our pal? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a great one. Bye. Bye. Once we had a weave, then they came together on that movie screen. Mouse and weave. Mouse and weave. Mouse and weave. Mouse and weave. It's a beautiful movie. With a happy ending, with a happy start, and a good middle, and all over. Our-